Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 7. His hands on her body caused the hairs on the back of her neck to stand up. He knew her body. He was its conductor. And the sound of her moans. The musical score. I love the shit out of you, Ma. Carter whispered in her ear. Oh my God, she screamed, animalistic as she threw it back at him, matching his gusto, taking his passion just the way he liked it. I love you so much, she whispered. What are you doing to me? She couldn't silence herself. He was making her feel too good. He slow stroked her from behind, the girth and length of him hitting the back of her, teasing her. Her back arched deeply, sweat pooled in the small of her toned back. Every time he rocked inside of her, he gave a mixture of pleasure and pain. It was so good the tears came to her eyes. She knew his rhythm and felt him pulsing inside of her. He was at his peak. After bringing her love down three times, he was ready for his pleasure. Suddenly, he withdrew, disconnecting their bodies. The few seconds that it took for him to travel south of her navel was sweet torture. But when he placed his mouth on her, she gasped in utter ecstasy. He ate on her as if she was a sweet summer peach on a hot Atlanta day. Not letting a drop of her nectar escape his wanting tongue. With his thumb on her pleasure knob and two fingers exploring the middle, she felt her climax building and building and building. Yeah, mama, give me that. She frowned. She heard the voice, but it didn't match his face. Mia Moore opened her eyes, shattering the orgasmic dream as she looked down at murder between her legs. Get off of me! She shouted as she scrambled out of his grasp. She looked around, wondering how he had undressed her from the waist down without her even awakening. She clutched the bedsheet to her chest, covering her body. He chuckled. I don't know what you're covering up for. I done seen all that, plenty of times before, he said as he licked his fingers that had just been coated in her juices. A flash of anger blazed in her eyes, and she was across the room in seconds. You ever touch me again without my permission and I will kill you, she said. You loved it, he said, licking his tongue out of her mannishly. So in the last chapter, we have Breeze's suffering, and in this chapter, we're right back to, oh, you know, casual sexual assault. Oh, you loved it. You know you wanted it. Her hand crossed his face so swiftly that he didn't see it coming. This was what he loved about her. 
Their chemistry was volatile and raw. He brought out the worst in her, and he had a thing for bad girls. He grabbed her neck and pushed her against the wall, causing her head to hit it so hard the pieces of plaster crumbled off. I love this shit, little mama, Murder whispered, but don't forget who taught you all that rah-rah shit you popping. If I didn't need him to keep me safe from Baraka, I'll put a bullet in his head while he sleeps, she thought bitterly. Miyamore hocked up as much spit as she could muster and let it fly into his face. Murder slapped her so hard that she fell to the ground, stars appearing before her eyes. You better get with the program real quick, Miyamore, Murder said as he looked at her with malice while wiping the glob of spit from his face. You don't want to become more trouble to me than you're worth. You threatening me? she asked. Say that shit for someone who believes you, nigga. I gave you a whiff of this pussy damn near ten years ago. And you've been chasing after me like a pathetic little dog ever since. She got to her feet and stood toe-to-toe with him arrogantly. You can't kill me, murder. Because it'll be like killing yourself. Let's be clear. If I could go home to my nigga, I would. You got me by default. Fate is not on your side. We aren't meant to be. I'm here because I have nowhere else to be. Baraka will kill me if and when he finds me. This isn't about you. There is no us. All that, and I'm still the only nigga willing to protect you. Fucked up ways and all. I ride for you, Miyamore. I don't see that bitch-ass nigga you praise nowhere in sight. He left you for dead. I'm all you got, Murder reminded her. She wouldn't have been so pissed if he hadn't been right. I gave you time to get your head together, Miyamore. But all you do is pop these and sleep. Murder said sternly as he picked up the Xanax bottle to sat on the nightstand of the hotel room. He threw the bottle across the room. It's time to shake this fucking city. You need to empty them casino accounts and sell your shares so we can take that bread and disappear. I can settle up with the nigga fly and then we can blow this joint. He whispered the last part, knowing he had considered killing fly and making off with all the money. Me and Mark could see the treachery in his eyes. She pulled herself up from the floor, her face still stinging slightly from the force behind his blow. Call Fly, she said. I need to go see the Italian about the casino shares. If you want a quick sale, then he's the one to go to, she informed him. Otherwise, a deal like this could take months. I can't afford to hang around here that long. The thought of what Baraka would do if he ever caught up with her caused her face to pale. For the first time in her life, she feared another man. But she feared Mecca and talked about it all the time. So how is this the first time in her life? The fuck you need that little nigga for? I can handle it, Murder said, offended. He had noticed Fly's affection for me and more. Also, Fly confessed it to you. The way he looked at her. Murder had taken me and more cell phone in an attempt to keep her from reaching out to Carter. Fly Boogie had frequently hit her up and it didn't go unnoticed. He couldn't read the full text messages. But each time Fly's name popped up on her screen, Murder felt a type of way. Murder was sure of the chemistry he noticed whenever Fly was around me and more, and it had him vexed. Salerno ain't taking no meeting with you by my side. He doesn't know you. Every single time I've met with him, Fly has been with me. Salerno's comfortable with him. This is the Italian mafia I'm getting in bed with, me and more exclaimed. I'm not going in solo or with the new nigga just to soothe your ego. We do it my way or not at all. So call Fly Boogie. Me and Moore sat, flawlessly put together on the outside. 
A Fendi jumpsuit clung to her flawless body, and snakeskin stilettos graced her feet. It was the first time she had put on clothes in weeks. Her mood didn't match her Manolo's, but she had to make a move. Sitting in the hotel room, rotting away was making her an easy target. Moving targets were harder to hit, so it was time for her to get out of Dodge. She had close to a million dollars put up in her bank account, but she was too afraid to withdraw it, thinking it would make her easier to find. As long as Baraka was hunting her, she would have to think about each move before she made it. If she sold the shares at a discount and then had Salerno pay her in cash, he would play ball. The knock at the door caused Murder to emerge from the second bedroom of the suite as he went to answer. Fly Boogie stood on the other side. What up, little nigga? Murder greeted. You could kill all that little nigga shit, Fly replied. Fly stepped into the big league years ago when he became Myanmar's go-to while Carter was locked up. He had earned his stripes, and if he hadn't been so in love with Myanmar, he would have moved up steadily in his position with the cartel. His own admiration had turned him into a fellow Carter. But even still, he would always ride for Mia Moore. Whenever she called, he would answer. The tension in the room was so thick that Mia Moore could hardly breathe. Let's just get this over with, she said, as she stood and walked out. As she passed murder, he grabbed her arm. Right back, he said. She snatched away, glaring at him as she and Fly made their exit. They didn't speak until they were inside his car. Mia Moore stared out of the window, arms folded across her chest. She was deep in thought. You gonna drive or what? She asked when she realized they hadn't moved. I've been calling you. You can't answer your phone for me now, Ma? Fly Boogie asked. I don't have my phone, she replied. Are you okay, Mia Moore? Why are you even doing any of this shit? You stand with this nigga like you some fragile little girl. I know your resume. You don't need that nigga. We could pull away right now and not look back, he said. And then what? Stay with you? Be with you? Mia Moore asked. Maybe, he said directly. I could do everything that nigga doing for you. I can keep you safe, Mia Moore. Difference is, I can't keep you safe, Fly. Being attached to me is a death sentence right now. I don't care if murder catches it behind me. I can't have you on my conscience, too. I know that you have this image of me and you're attracted to that. But the pedestal you have me on is too high, Fly. You're my friend. And in another lifetime, I could even see you being more. But in this lifetime, I was loved by a man named Carter. And it's something I'm loyal to, even when we're not together. You don't want half a woman, Fly. You deserve a whole woman, every part of a woman. I can't give you that. My heart is too invested elsewhere. And since CJ, it doesn't even beat the same. Nigga, she done told you this at least five times over two books. Fly turned her chin towards him because she was talking at the window as tears glided effortlessly down her face. Her hurt was so palpable that it took over the car. I don't give a damn about any of them niggas, Mia Moore. I want what I want, and that's you, Fly said. So he's even saying he don't give a damn about your son. Let's just handle this business, Fly, she said, wiping her face. Mia Moore just wasn't the same. Her soul didn't feel the same. She felt so... So vulnerable. And that was something she had never allowed herself to experience. Not truly. Not 100%. Even with Carter, she had been tough. But after losing her child, all guards had been stripped away. She had nothing but pent-up raw emotion, waiting to explode. 
Finally, Fly drove away from the hotel. You strapped, she asked. You know it, he replied. He reached under the seat and came out with the thirty-eight handgun, knowing it was her preference. He passed it to her. She smirked, took the pistol off safety, and then placed it in her handbag. Each switched their focus to the task at hand, knowing it would require all of their attention. Benito Salerno sat in the greasy booth of the strip club, spread out like a pig as a young little piece put on a show before him. Exotic dancers was his guilty pleasure. The old man, with his big belly and his half-functioning penis, had no business frequenting an establishment as such. He was a family man. He had a wife and adult children at home. In fact, he had a daughter the same age as some of these girls, but he still had a thing for tasting young snatch. He tipped well and had no problem paying for extras, so he was a favorite among the girls in this particular joint. It was far removed from Vegas. In fact, it was a hole in the wall just outside of Reno. It was important that his extracurricular activities didn't get back to his wife. He respected her, but she no longer held his interest sexually. She was from the old country and lived in a demure way. He was looking for a girl with no morals, and this had been his secret for years. He made the drive once a week. The dancer in front of him climbed on the couch and positioned herself directly over his mouth. Salerno could practically smell her through the fabric of her thong. The mixture of her womanly juices, perfume, and sweat made him groan in anticipation. He slid her panties to the side and trailed his tongue from the bottom of her slit all the way to her clit and slurped loudly. He was in heaven as he buried his face in her. All of a sudden, he felt the cold kiss of steel against the back of his head. His eyes flew open as he saw the girl collect her things and accept payment from Mia Moore. You dirty bitch, he said to the stripper. The girl fled the room, unbothered. Relax, Lerno. I come in peace, Mia Moore stated. Tuh, some peace, he scoffed. There's a gun at the back of my head. Mia Moore nodded to Fly Boogie, who lowered the weapon. Mia Moore thought about sitting, but decided against it as she looked around the disgusting room. Salerno was visibly disturbed. He was so livid that his skin flushed a bright red. What is this about? Have I ever brought trouble to you, Mia Moore? If you wanted my attention, a phone call would have sufficed. I invite you into my city. I help you acquire your casino, and this the thanks I get, he huffed. She didn't want to let him know she was running from anyone, so she didn't explain her extreme attempt to have a private meeting. My apologies, she said. I'm here to offer you something. She didn't leave him time to guess her intentions as she continued. I'm getting out of the casino business. I plan to sell my shares. I thought it proper if I offered them to you first. Salerno's entire disposition changed. She had piqued his interest. I don't want to do a public sale. I prefer to do this in private, she paused. How much, he asked. Twenty-five million, she said. You could wire the funds to a Swiss account. He laughed heartily at this she had told the world's biggest joke. Mia Moore didn't flinch. The way I see it, the only reason you'll want an untraceable wire is if you're in a bind, Salerno said, reading the situation. She knew he was about to stick it to her. I'll give you five million, he said. Best I can do. He waved his hand dismissively as if the deal were done. It was Mia Moore's turn to laugh. The shares are worth close to 75, maybe more, she countered. I was giving you a deal the first time. Yeah, well, the bounty on your head would cost me nothing. I could easily make a better deal with the Saudi that you're running from, Salerno threatened. 
Miyamura could see the satisfaction shining behind his eyes. His fat, greasy face was smug, as if he had the upper hand. She was shaken, but didn't show it. You see, I thought you might say that, Miyamura said. It's unfortunate that we have to take this route. Take a look at this, big man, Fly Boogie said as he reached around Salerno with a phone in his hand. He flipped through pictures on his phone, and Salerno's eyes turned big and his face turned white. While you out here tricking, you leaving your family exposed. Pictures of his daughter and wife, sleeping soundly in their beds made him jump up in alarm. Fly Boogie put a firm hand on his shoulder. Sit your ass down. Like I said, Mia Moore started, this could have been an amicable deal. I didn't want to force your hand. I don't have that type of money on hand, he said. You've been shaking down every business owner in Vegas for years. You don't think I know the type of paper you're getting? Mia Moore replied. The casino's a good investment. I'm a businesswoman. I'm giving you a great deal. You'll make the $25 million back within three months. Salerno wanted to say no. He was usually the terrorist. He had never met anyone, especially a woman who had the moxie to shake him down. He had made a mistake by underestimating her pretty face. Make the call, she said sternly, before I lose my patience. It's two in the morning. Who am I supposed to call at this hour? He said in a panic. Mia Moore checked her watch and nodded. You're right, she said. Fly Boogie hit Salerno over the head with the butt of the gun. Get your ass up. You're coming with us. Mia Moore led the way as Fly Boogie walked Salerno out of the club. When they were outside, Fly pushed him into the trunk. I guess you have to stick by my side until morning, she said, before slamming it closed. By morning, Mia Moore had the money in a Swiss account, and it left Salerno stranded in the middle of the desert. As Fly Boogie sped down the highway, he glanced over at Mia Moore. You sure you want to go back, he asked. I could take you wherever you want to go. She knew that wherever she went, murder would eventually follow. Despite her disdain for him, she trusted him with her life. No, I'm going back, but I want you to leave. I want you to take half a million dollars from this money and go somewhere else. Start somewhere new. Murder said he's going to pay you for what you did. For infiltrating the cartel for him. But I know him. He's going to kill you, she admitted. I ain't never ran from a nigga in my life, he said. And what I look like, taking your paper, ma? That's your money. I got my own. Mia Moore turned in her seat so that she was facing him. Just go somewhere and start over. I'm no good for you. Leave Vegas in your rear view, fly. Start your life. You're the right type of man for the right type of woman. That's not me, she said. Pull over right here. He did as she asked, stopping in a small hick town. She opened her door and got out. What are you doing, Mia Moore? Get in and close the door, he said. Drive away, Fly, she stated. Where will you go? You can't stay in Vegas, Fly stated. Mia Moore shrugged. I don't know. Maybe I'll take this money and buy a little beach bar in the Bahamas, she joked. Fly could see a little bit of truth behind her words. I just want to leave everything behind. All of it. It's too painful. She nodded as she began to choke on her emotions. Sniffing back the tears, she finished. Actually, that plan is sounding kind of nice. He got out of the car and stood, looking it over as he rested one hand on the roof. He was conflicted, and she knew it. He wanted to be her man, but she couldn't allow that. She had already let the lines between them blur a little too much. 
They were more than friends, but not lovers. Fly's emotions ran deeper than hers ever could for him. Her heart was already taken, so she was letting him go. I'll be okay. Go, she insisted. He bit his lips sexily, clearly troubled by her request. He was handsome, suave, and so fresh that it was ridiculous. She smiled. You're going to make one of these young girls very happy, she said. Take care of yourself, all right? He nodded. You too, Mia Moore. She watched Fly Boogie lean back into the car and drive away. She sighed deeply in relief, knowing that she had just saved his life. Sticking around for her would lead to nothing but his demise. She didn't want that. She would rather see him fly free. Mia Moore pulled out a bottle of Xanax and opened the top. She popped three and swallowed them down with water. Placing her hands on her hips, she looked around. Now what, she thought, knowing that she was a long way from Las Vegas. For a moment, she actually considered leaving murder, but Mia Moore had never been alone. She had gone from her sister to the murder mamas to murder, then to Carter, and she didn't want to be on the run alone. And if that day came that she did have to face Baraka, she would need murder on her team. She went back to the road and stuck out her thumb, ready to hitchhike the long way back to Vegas. Chapter 8 Three motherfucking years later. Three years, people. First of all, Fly's not gone because he has to get murdered by Carter. Second of all, three years. So this nigga Baraka, she's been hiding from this nigga for three years. Her and Carter have been apart for three years. For real? Three years. Breeze hasn't told Zaire about the pregnancy in three years. We haven't heard from money in three years. Okay. Over the past three years, you and I have done a lot of business together. I haven't seen anyone move like you since the passing of my own son. Fly Boogie looked out of the window of the helicopter as a city of angels illuminated beneath him. His connect's voice boomed through the headset he wore. He looked over at Baron Montgomery. He was a connect's connect. The end-all, be-all in the Los Angeles drug trade. He had been a Midwest player before coming to L.A. to take over a new territory. Fly had been personally invited to attend the annual gentleman's ball. It was his first time being in Baron's presence. When Fly first left Vegas, he acquired a Mexican connect, Josiah, who supplied him with enough pills to start a pharmacy. Fly had moved so much that Baron had insisted he meet the young hustler. Today was that meeting, and Fly was thrown off that Baron was being so open. I'm sorry. I don't have kids, but I couldn't imagine, Fly offered. No worries, Baron said. So tell me, how is it that you move more than Josiah? It seems like I have the wrong man in position. Perhaps it's time I shift some things around. Nah, Fly Boogie replied. I'm more than okay with getting this low-key money. I don't need the title. Baron knew that Fly Boogie was being modest. He had built a fine empire of his own in the past three years. He was major and very sharp. The pilot landed on the helicopter pad on top of L.A.'s finest hotel. The entire property had been rented out. Every single room and ballroom was reserved for the highly exclusive event. It was invitation only, and all the heavy hitters in the game would be there. Tonight will blow your mind, young. I still remember my first ball, Baron chuckled. It'll be the best night of your life besides the day you marry your girl or see your kids born. It plays a close third. Fly smirked allowing the corners of his mouth to turn up in amusement. When the two men stepped out of the beast of a flying machine, they were quickly greeted by two Brazilian beauties. Hello, Mr. Montgomery. 
Welcome to the Gentleman's Ball. Here are your masks. You and your guests can follow us this way, one of them greeted them. Fly couldn't help but take in her essence. Her rear was poking out of a fitted Herv Ledger gown. She had curves that should have come with a warning sign. He held the masquerade mask in his hands. We playing dress up, he asked. You want your identity concealed. You never know what might happen to you tonight. It's best if no one bears witness to these festivities. The cameras throughout the building have also been shut off for the private function, Baron informed. Damn, Fly thought as he put on his mask without further question. He had no idea what he was getting himself into. Fly followed Baron down into one of the ballrooms. No expense had been spared. The finest of everything. Linens, liquor, decorations, women, food. It had all been arranged with first-class elegance. You enjoy the night, and when you're ready to leave, drivers are awaiting you out front to take you wherever you need to go, Baron said. Let's circulate. Fly Boogie had checked in his normal fresh threads and was clad in a more mature look. Ralph Lauren's suit, personally tailored with diamond cufflinks and Prada shoes made him look like money. His fresh fade and diamond bezel Rolex rounded out the presidential look. Fly had always wondered why Carter, Zaire, and Money walked around in suits, but as Baron had told him, when you look like money, you attract money. Everyone in here is somebody. Not all are drug dealers. Some are politicians, moguls, but everyone has achieved a level of power that is respected across the board. Fly got it now. Fly moved through a room taking in the vibes as Baron introducing the player after player. Not one person in the room was a slouch. They were all major. He realized he was being inducted into the big leagues. He wasn't beat for crowds, and he tried to hide his discomfort as he kept his eyes moving around the room. Relax, kid, Baron schooled. You're good here. Everybody checks their weapons at the door. Any existing beef is off limits inside these walls. Fly nodded, but still his neck was on a swivel. He couldn't believe that in just a few years he had worked his way to the top. He was on. He dibbled and dabbled in cocaine, but prescription pills was a new school hustle. He had been skeptical to try his hand at it, but once he did, he was hooked. There was a drought in L.A.'s cocaine trade, but his pockets had adjusted to the new flip nicely. Just when he had taken the tension out of his shoulders and begun to relax, a young boy crashed into him, spilling champagne all over Fly Boogie's jacket. Fly pulled out his handkerchief and brushed off his jacket. Yo, fuck is this, a daycare? Little homie, watch where you... He didn't finish his sentence. When he looked down at the young boy, his words stopped in his throat. Mo? Fly Boogie whispered in disbelief. It was as if he had seen a ghost. He was staring at Monroe's son, a boy whose memory they had buried. Told y'all so. Mo's eyes flickered in recognition, but before he could respond, Baron came walking up with a smiling Baraka at his side. Baraka held a pretty Asian girl's hand. Take care of him, sweetheart, Baraka said, handing Mo off to the girl, who looked to be no older than 16 herself. Mo walked away with the girl, looking back only once to fly before proceeding to be led away. Fly Boogie's heart stopped in his chest when he noticed Mia Moore and Carter's son trailing behind Baraka. Mo and CJ were the only face in the ball uncovered. Fly had never interacted with Baraka, so Baraka had no idea of his cartel affiliation. I see my young boys ruining your suit. My sincerest apologies, Baraka said. These boys are like sons to me. I try to bring them here to get their first peek, and they turn to a ball of nerves. 
Baron's laugh was deep and genuine as he made the formal introduction. Fly, this is Baraka. Baraka, this is Fly Boogie, Baraka said. Interesting name, Baraka said. Interesting plus ones, Fly replied, referring to CJ and Mo, who were clearly out of place. Seeing me and Moore's son brought back the feelings he had suppressed since leaving Las Vegas. He hadn't thought of her in years, but just now in this moment, his loyalty to her resurfaced as if it had never left him. He had witnessed the strongest woman he knew break down over the loss of her son. Yet this very boy was standing in front of him alive, and from the looks of it, well. He knew she didn't know. She couldn't have. Mia Moore would have left the trail of bodies behind her as she searched for her son, if she even had a whim that CJ was still alive. Both he and Mo had been missing from their parents for three years. Everyone thought they were dead. Fly Boogie wanted to tell himself that this wasn't his business. He wanted to walk away because they weren't really his problem. Only they were. The love he had for Mia Moore wouldn't allow him to just pretend he hadn't discovered this. Oddly enough, they were the sons of the men responsible for my daughter's death, Baraka offered freely. When I took them, I intended them harm, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. They all knew what it was. He couldn't murder them without the soul of a dead child weighing him down. So instead, I turned them into my sons, the sons I never had, and my enemies will mourn them forever at the mere thought of them being gone, Baraka finished. Mental warfare, Baron commented, indifferent to the entire situation. Muscle wins battles, mental wins wars, Baraka insisted. Indeed, Fly stated. He stopped a waitress who passed by with an empty tray. He grabbed her gently and whispered in her ear, Louis, neat, two of them, and water, no ice, he ordered, and keep them coming. Only she heard his order. He turned to Baron and Baraka. In no time, the waitress was back with their drinks, and Fly Boogie passed the cognac to the gentleman and kept the water for himself. Good choice, Baraka said as he smelled his cognac. He nodded towards Fly's cup. Vodka is a young man's drink. He laughed as if shaking off memories. I couldn't even get that down. Fly smirked and replied, It's all preference. He lifted the glass. To a good evening and potential business. The men downed their cognac, and Fly took in the water, wincing slightly. The waitress was back with another in no time. Baron placed a hand over his heart. None for me, sweetheart. I'll leave you gentlemen to it, he said. Fly and Baraka toasted again. Fly Boogie made small talk, passing the time, as the waitress brought the third round, then the fourth, and finally the fifth, before Baraka conceded. I'm done, son. My tolerance isn't what it used to be. Fly laughed lightly. Understandable, he said, completely unfazed. Enjoy your night. He watched as Baraka walked away to network with the other guests. He didn't miss the fact that he couldn't walk a straight line, and that the dapper businessman had begun to sweat. The liquor was throwing him off. Fly scanned the room until his eyes rested on CJ and Mo, who were seated at Baraka's table. A million thoughts ran through his mind. He was trying to talk himself out of interfering, but he knew that he wasn't leaving the ball without those boys. They didn't seem to be in danger. They weren't being tortured or paying for their mother's sins. But this was not where they belonged. Mia Moore deserved to be reunited with her son. Fly hugged the bar this time getting himself a real drink to take off the edge. He was in a building full of powerful players and about to do the unthinkable. Fly discreetly reached down across the bar and grabbed a visible corkscrew, 
sliding it up his jacket sleeve. Gentlemen, the auction is about to begin. Please make your way to ballroom B, an announcer said. Fly watched as most of the men began to shift from their places. The auction was the main event of the night. His eyes followed Baraka as he beelined for the restroom. CJ and Mo stood outside the door while Baraka went inside. Fly hadn't wanted them to witness what he was about to do, but it was now or never. He made his way over to them. You remember me? He asked as he pulled off his mask. Used to work for my family, Mo said. Are they here? Did they come for us? Nah, they're not here, man. I'm going to take you home, though, all right? He said. Go to the lobby and wait for me. But Baraka said, CJ began to speak, but Fly interrupted him. I don't give a fuck what Baraka said, Fly shot back. He's going to kill them if we ever try to leave. He said he will kill everyone we love, Mo insisted. I won't let that happen, homie. Go now. Wait for me in the lobby, Fly urged. Why don't you just, you know, call me a more, call Carter, call money, let them know what's going on before you go into this room and get killed. Why not do that? He walked into the bathroom where Baraka was using the urinal. One too many drinks, Baraka chuckled as he concealed himself and then began adjusting his clothes. I hear you, Fly said casually as he walked by to get to the next urinal. He slid the corkscrew down his sleeve and gripped it tightly in his hand. Baraka never even anticipated Fly's treachery. Fly jammed the corkscrew into his neck so deep that it felt like his head would pop off. Ah! Baraka cried, his eyes bulging out of his head as Fly Boogie held him up by his collar. Me and Moore sends her love, Fly stated as he removed the corkscrew and stuck it into his body, stabbing him up quickly. Baraka stumbled as he grasped his neck, trying to stop the profuse bleeding. Fly Boogie grabbed the man's head and snapped his neck. He had so much aggression and a look of pure evil in his eyes as he ended Baraka's life. He had put his murder game down before, but this time it had been personal. He had just touched the untouchable, and by doing so, he had freed Mia Moore from her self-induced seclusion. He pulled Baraka into the last stall and then walked out. It was time to shake before anyone saw his blood-stained suit. Finding CJ and Mo waiting anxiously for him, he ushered them towards the exit. They stood, shocked and afraid as he hightailed it towards the door. Where are we going? CJ asked as he tried to keep up. Home, CJ. I'm taking you both home. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast, copy and paste that in the Good Pods. I deserve reviews, real talk. I don't need them, I just like to see them. You know, they keep people's moods lifted, I guess, I don't fucking know. Uh, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or at um, the Good Pods app in the tip jar. Thank you so much to everybody who's been listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club 
is by that kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, you slip.